I remember sitting at the Starbucks, I was meeting this girl in the interview, thinking this is the stupidest thing. I've never been interviewed for a job. And here I am interviewing people. And I've, I just felt really, really unqualified. But at the same time, I hadn't gone in blindly with every part of business. I've really, really studied and really intentionally try to prepare myself as best I can for the unknown and for the project I'm trying to tackle. But it is a scary transition to have kind of the head knowledge that's more theoretical and then throw it into action and see what actually works. Hey, this is Heath Padgett and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 161. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and each episode on this show, I sit down with people who have created a business that supports a unique lifestyle, often living in a van or an RV, sometimes even a boat, who knows, it gets really crazy, and also allows them to spend time doing what they love, whether that's traveling or spending more time in the business or with their family. And that's kind of the key values of this podcast that I've been hosting now for almost three years, which is crazy. And for such a long time on this podcast, I've thrown in little notes here in the beginning of the episode saying I'm recording from a remote spot in New Zealand or a campground somewhere on the East Coast or West Coast or wherever the heck we're traveling to. And maybe there's a dog or something barking in the background, which is, I guess, why I felt I needed to share that kind of stuff. (laughs) But anyway, in today's episode, I'm not recording from any of those places. I'm recording from Denton, Texas, which is a little town outside of Dallas, and I'm not recording from our RV but from a little apartment that we signed a lease on here in Alyssa's hometown where she's from. And after nearly five years of being full-time on the road, moving from place to place, we're going to be stationary for this year as we get ready for the baby, go to doctor's appointments, and all of that stuff. Really weird uh, transition. And as much as I want to say it's like feels crazy big, it's it honestly, I don't think it's really hit me yet that we have really slowed down because this time of year anyway, we stop really traveling and moving around too much. We go south for the winter and we kind of stay still. So it hasn't really hit me yet that we are going through this major life transition. But before jumping into this episode, I just wanted to take a moment and say how much I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. Whether you're a new or old listener, this show has just been one of the best highlights of my life so far. I mean, seriously, it really has. I mean, I'm not just saying that. Like, I love talking with travelers and entrepreneurs and RVers. And one of my favorite things in the world is just having good conversations with people. And I feel like that's what podcasting is. It's a medium for good conversations. So I love hearing messages from people who are listening on the other side of this podcast. Maybe you're on the other side of the world, you're on a boat or you're an RV or you're kind of just dreaming about starting your own thing. Um, so all of those messages that you guys have sent me or left a review on the podcast, really, uh, they go a long way and I'm just really grateful for you guys and that's how I wanted to start the first episode of 2019, just on a note of gratitude to thank you guys and let you know that the podcast is going to keep going even though we're taking off travel for a year. I talked about that a little bit in the last episode with Alyssa when we were doing our year-end review was just, hey, we're going through this transition. We're not going to be in an RV for a year. Don't know what's going to come with baby and not even going to try to wrap my brain around that right now. Um, But the core values of the show are still going to stay the same. Interviewing people who have interesting stories, who are running cool businesses, and figuring out what we can learn from them so we can do the same. And sometimes that'll be people in an RV, and we'll probably go outside of that a little bit. 
you know, as we're kind of transitioning our own lives and I'll interview some just generic location independent entrepreneurs digging into how they do what they do and maybe just some regular entrepreneurs. I want to stay in this vertical kind of the core values around nomadic entrepreneurship, if you will. It's a long word and a mouthful, but uh, I'm excited for this year. It's going to be a lot of fun and just want to say thank you guys for being a part of, of the ride. And I'm excited for where the podcast is going to go this year. I'm still trying to figure that a little bit out myself. Uh, so it's going to be fun and I'm pumped. Ramble over. Today's episode in the first show of 2019 is with my friend Catherine Cockrell, who we first met at our 2017 RV Entrepreneur Summit, the first year that we hosted our conference, which, by the way, complete side note, we had a few people back out of our 2019 RV Entrepreneur Summit, which we are hosting in northern Alabama, March 21st through the 24th. It's a four-day business conference specifically for uh, travelers, RVers uh, that we're putting on there. It's our third year. And we have a few tickets that we're opening up and they are available right now. So if you go to therventrepreneur.com, you can snag a ticket. We're only releasing a few because we had a few slots open up. But if you're interested in coming to the conference next year, there's a few tickets available on the website at the time of recording this. I met Catherine our first year of hosting the conference, and we've become good friends. Uh, she started her first business at the age of 15 called Happy Hound Pet Sitting. And for several years, she ran her pet sitting business from her parents' house until they finally had enough of her bringing in lots of random animals into her house. And they told her that she needed to come up with a new solution, which she then turned to going into clients' homes to pet sit for them while they were away. And her business started growing and growing. And as demand grew for her pet sitting business, Catherine had to navigate how to serve these new customers because she only has 24 hours in a day, hire additional pet sitters without losing quality of service, and just create a bunch of additional processes for her growing business. So in today's episode, we talk about the things that you should consider when you're making your first hires automating your business so you can travel, go do other things, and a lot more. All right, that's all for the introduction for today's podcast episode. Ran a little bit long. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this interview with Catherine. Let's go. Catherine, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So we met, actually, the first time I met you was in our RV because you just like showed up and took charge during the registration process at our first conference. I don't even remember what exactly happened. I don't, I don't know if I came in and like thought you were like a volunteer or like, I don't, I don't know, just kind of explain like how we met. That's kind of like a fun little story that could be cool to talk about. Well, right before I showed up at y'all's RV, I was checking in at the campground and I remember I was checking in and you came in and you're asking them something about like you had some string lights or some light bulbs or something that you needed. And it was the it was weird for me because I felt like a stalker because I recognized your voice from the podcast from like behind me shopping around. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's <laughs> me. I know who he is. Um, but later on, I was sitting in my cabin because I had gotten there early and I didn't have any kind of RV or anything yet. And I was just reading my book and feeling kind of bored and sad for myself because I had driven 11 <laughs> hours to get here. And I'm like, this is so dumb. I'm sitting in my cabin and I'm not even like hanging out with anybody like this isn't what I came here to do and then Alyssa made the grave error of live streaming <laughs> with uh <laughs> you and Kelsey that you guys were like working on some kind of goodie bags for all the attendees and she put what site you guys were at I kind of thought about it for a minute I thought maybe 
it wouldn't be that weird if I just walked over and said, hey, and, like <laughs> offered my help. Like they can, you know, nicely say, no, get out of here. We're busy. Or, you know, maybe I can be helpful and hang out with them. So that's how it turned out. And I believe all of you thought I was someone else who was a legitimate volunteer for some period of time. <laughs> but Alyssa did figure it out. She was like, wait, what's your name again? <laughs> and then then they realized I was just a a random fan who showed up to help <laughs> with volunteer bags. Yeah, no, but you were attendee, so it wasn't like it was super random. But it's just funny because I feel like you've probably you've probably taken that approach in a lot of areas of your life, not just like showing up randomly for our conference because like you own a pet sitting business, which we're going to talk about today, but you're also a black belt and you have like a few other <laughs> random things that you're involved with. So if we just met, like how would you describe like your life at this point? My life has gone from pretty stable where I knew exactly what was going to go on and when about a year, year and a half ago to pretty uprooted and wild at the moment. I just moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'm opening the second branch of my pet sitting business. So this is a really big monumental move for me because I know what I'm doing in business. I'm seasoned. I've been doing this for over nine years, but starting from scratch is definitely very humbling. And just talking with some different friends, explaining to them, you know, this is stuff I know how to do, but doing it with complete strangers in a brand new city definitely makes you very nervous. Like I was going to give some vets and groomers and dog trainers and some other little local you know, dog shops, some of my information. And the difference being back home, I know all of them. Everyone knows me. I know all of them. But here it feels like kind of like solicitation where you're just showing up and you know, hoping they're nice to you. <laughs> so I was putting it off all day and I was trying to think of how I could do it the best way possible. So I went to a coffee shop to get some pastries and I had called my mom on the way there. I was like, I need a pep talk. I'm just feeling really <laughs> nervous and insecure. And as soon as I get to the place, I lock the car, shut the door and realize, oh, I've locked my keys in the car for the first oh time gosh. in my life. So it's been interesting to me to see how even though I've done something for so long, it definitely is a new ball game and really stretching me to do it again, someplace completely new outside of the city I grew up in for 24 years. So it's, it's, it's definitely stretching me. It's a lot of fun right now. Yeah. I want to get into your story, but just to ask you like point blank, as you're talking about it, like you've went through a kind of a crazy season of life, as you said lately, not just with transitioning a uh, happy home pet sitting to a different city, but you also bought an old RV like that did not work out. You, then you bought a van and now you're on a boat and then you've been kind of figuring out what's next. Do you feel like this past year outside of just moving to a new city has like pushed you? This year has been a whirlwind. I've I've done a lot of first this past year. I had bought a old Argosy Airstream back in 2017 and spent almost a year working on it on and off, trying to make that my home. That was my original plan. But my grandfather, who has a background in construction, was going to be a big part of helping me do that. We ended up having a stroke, and it wasn't an option for him to help me out anymore. And it took several months for me to come to terms with it, but I realized it just wasn't a feasible project for me. So I wound up handing that off to Kyle and Olivia from Driving and Vibin. So now it's their mess to deal with. So that's <laughs> fun that we've got the same hometown and it just, it worked out perfectly where they were able to, they were able to come and get it and it was a perfect fit for them. 
but kind of the story behind that is I'd been tr- planning for about two and a half years that I wanted to do some kind of really exciting trip because I was getting to the point where my first pet sitting business was under management and they really didn't need me that much. And I knew I wanted to expand it and keep it growing. But before I did that, I really wanted to celebrate by taking a a long extended trip around the U.S. Because I've, like I said, I've grown up in the same house. We've never moved up until my parents just this February moved for the first time in my life. So I've lived a very stationary life as far as like a home base, but I've done a good bit of traveling abroad. I've done a little bit stateside, but I wanted to make a real long extended trip. Cause I think that's when, I don't know, that's, that's when some change hits, hits you and you really get to experience traveling in a different way versus going for a week or two at a time. Yeah. I, um, one of my friends is like a author for people in their twenties and uh, he has a made up quote that says like 78% of all millennials believe they can solve life's problems with a road trip. So that I think like we both <laughs> probably fit into that bill pretty good. So oh, yeah. anyway, so I guess giving some background, additional background to you, you say you have nine years of experience. You're 24, right? Yes. Okay. I did the quick math because I knew you started Happy Hound Pet Sitting when you were 15. So you started your pet sitting business when you were 15, which is amazing. This is like you're the second person in the past month. I also interviewed Joel who bought Harvest Host and he started his first company when he was 15. So it's been fun to like interview entrepreneurs from a younger age. So I guess give some quick background to how you started your pet sitting business. Was this just like your friend needed like a pet sitting and so you were volunteered? Like at what point did it come into a business? So like what happened in the beginning? It started, hmm, I was walking a couple of neighborhood dogs, probably starting when I was like eight or nine years old. I got paid like a dollar a walk. I was, I was loaded, loaded little kid. (laughs) Um, so I had been doing that for a little while. And then as soon as I turned 14, that's when I was finally old enough to get a job and I am Miss Independent and I really wanted to have my own money and be my own person. So I found a job at a local pet store, which was my absolute dream job. I had the best time working there and I did that for a little over a year, but then they changed management and that was it was just not a smooth transition. The person they'd hired as manager was a terrible human being and awful to work for. And with me just being a kid, it was something for me to do for fun. I wasn't like I needed the money to pay bills. So at that point when, I mean, when I was going into work crying because my manager was nuts, that was the point where I decided, you know what, I've had enough of this. And it took a couple of weeks of me sitting around the house being bored because I'd really gotten a lot of fulfillment, just having a job to do just to something that meant a lot to me. And I got to thinking, I was like, you know, my dog Reggie, while I worked at that kennel and it was a very nice kennel, he absolutely lost it when he had to go there. He has really bad separation anxiety, which just speaks to how spoiled he is. (laughs) But (laughs) so I got to thinking, well, what if I was to make a really quiet, smaller kennel and keep dogs, you know, in our own, in my house and just create a more comfortable environment for them. So Happy Hounds had a lot of transformations. The way it started out was I actually had a bunch of extra, extra large crates in my parents' basement and started the business down there. I had a dog wash tub grooming setup. I had a little tiny pet store going on and I had my kennel and like a big, the backyard was set up like a dog park. 
and just started small, started humbly. And eventually mom and dad got tired of (laughs) a basement full of dogs barking right under their bedroom and suggested I maybe rethink this idea. (laughs) So then it started uh, into the in-home pet sitting market, which wound up being a really big blessing in disguise because at the time I was looking at renting a storefront and one thing after another fell through with that. And the property that I could actually afford to rent was really excited to rent from a good friend of mine. It got rezoned at the last minute and it wasn't going to be an option for me to work out of it anymore. And that just closed a lot of doors because I was very young and very inexperienced and it was going to be really hard for me to afford any higher of a rent than what my friend was going to give me at the time. So that's when we switched to uh, just in-home pet sitting as there was no other alternative. If you can hear my dog sneezing. (laughs) (laughs) Big dog lover. Out of of curiosity, how long was it before your parents were like, no more dogs? They are incredibly patient people. I think I made it almost three years. Wow. That's incredible. I feel like most parents would have been like at the first suggestion of bringing in like tons of dogs. You know, that's maybe not a good idea. It's one of those things at the time I completely took it for granted and I'm sad to say I probably did not thank them like I should have. I do now. I realize what an inconvenience <laughs> it was. But yeah, they had a basement full of dogs right under their bedroom. And there was two or three dogs that we had to ban from ever coming back because they barked too much. But there was a system to getting certain dogs to calm down and be quiet. We had the isolation quiet room so they wouldn't get distracted and like overstimulated and hopefully stay calm more than the rest of them. Nice. So you ended up not getting a storefront and you went out and started going to people's houses to sit their dogs whenever they were gone. At what point did you, so the first three years was in-house, so you're 18 at this point and you decided not to go to college and that you're going to focus on the pet sitting business, right? Correct. And that was a lot of fun for me to explain to my parents. They're not, my parents are very intelligent people. They're both pharmacists. And I'm pretty sure they saw the writing on the wall that I was avoiding college with every ounce of my being. That just sounded horrible to me. None of it, none of it sounded (laughs) worthwhile to me at all. And it took me a while to really get the nerve up and get the business up to a point where I felt confident enough to go to him and say, Hey, I really want to run with this. I don't think going to college is the right fit for me. I, I think by the time my friends graduate college in four years, I can really turn this into something. And they gave me their blessing. They, I mean, at this point I had a college fund ready to go, which just got rolled over to the next kid. I didn't, I didn't get to see a penny of it, but it's okay. It's paying for Ben. It's fine. Um, that moment was a little scary for me because that's what I'd been raised and told I was going to do is I was going to go to college and get whatever degree and be set. So to tell them, Hey, I know you've saved up tens of thousands of dollars for this, this goal for me to achieve, but I I don't want it. So that was exciting, but they did. They treated me like an adult. They said, okay, well, we're going to treat you just like we would if you were graduating college. So if you're going to stay after summer break of your senior year, um, so this point I'd graduated, They said, you know, if you're not going to go off to school in the spring like everybody else, then you're going to have to pay rent. And, you know, you're more than welcome to stay with us. We're not going to, you know, break you. But 
we want you to be an adult and start taking on responsibilities. So at that point, I ended up getting two other jobs. So I had my business, I was working as a nanny, and I was working at a dog groomer. So it took a while, but after about six months, I was able to quit working at the working with the family as a nanny. And then another couple months later, I quit as the dog groomer assistant. So I was just rocking and rolling with Happy Hound about four years into it. Nice. So I guess so people have context. If if I I've never actually like went through the process of dog sitting or actually no, I haven't. And so I don't really so I guess people find you on your website or through referrals and they pay you guys. Is it repeat customers or is it like I'm just going out of town? And come over to my house and stay with my dog for a few hours or maybe a couple days kind of thing? Yeah, it's almost always repeat customers. I mean, we're always growing, so we get new customers and you got to have them a couple of times. But the way people find us, they can find us online. I work with a lot of local rescues, vets, groomers, trainers, and they've got all our information. So it's a nice referral system if someone asks me because they see me as an expert in the field. Say, you know, who's the best vet in town for XYZ? I can send them to that particular vet or if they want to know who's the best groomer for a golden doodle, I can tell them what groomer's best and vice versa with them recommending me. Gotcha. So in Alabama, before, you know, talking about expanding out, like, do you have any idea of like how many people you typically pet sit for in a year or happy home pet sitting sits for in a year? It fluctuates. It's well over, it's between one and 300. Typically we've got about 150 each year that we're taking care of. And a lot of them are repeat customers. Some of them are almost every weekend. Some of them are almost every weekday. Some of them we only see one weekend a year. It fluctuates like crazy. There's no one shoe fits all with the customer types. Yeah. No, I mean, that's kind of fun. So you realize you love hanging out with dogs or animals of all kinds and pet sitting for them. At what point during that, I guess it was, sounds like it was around that college go to college or go in on this business thing. At what point did you start bringing in like contractors to help you? That took a while. That was a really scary step for me because it's kind of attached to your name and like your reputation kind of thing. I think a lot of people really struggle with that, right? Exactly. It's well, it's not necessarily just that it's attached to my name and my reputation. We're going into multi-million dollar houses regularly, several times a day. And if anything was to go wrong, say I hire the wrong person and they stole something or somehow the dog got hurt or, you know, they backed into the garage door and it's a $20,000 garage door that I can't afford (laughs) out of pocket to fix that kind of thing. So there was a lot to think about as far as that went. And then on the other side, just business wise, I had to grow my client base to the point where I had to hire somebody. But once I hired them, they were taking away a lot of my income. So I had to kind of walk that tightrope of, I need to work really, really hard. So I'm, I'm working, I'm barely able to keep up with the workload. And then I'll hire somebody. But at the same time, once I hire them, I do lose a lot of income because they're doing the jobs and not me. So I had to kind of line up the finances and make sure I was ready for that. And I also just had to do a lot of research to make sure I had the right insurance and I mean, at this point, I made my first hire when I was 19. I did my first job interview. And I remember sitting at the Starbucks, I was meeting this girl to the interview, thinking, this is the stupidest thing. I've never been interviewed for a job. And here I am (laughs) interviewing people. And I just felt really, really unqualified. But at the same time, 
I hadn't gone in blindly with every part of business. I've really, really studied and really intentionally try to prepare myself as best I can for the unknown and for the project I'm trying to tackle. But it is a scary transition to have kind of the head knowledge that's more theoretical and then throw it into action and see what actually works. So that was a lot of fun and very scary for me because I can do my job at explaining someone else, not just how to do it, but motivating them to do it with the quality that I do it was really hard for me to do at first. Yeah. Did you, um, how many contractors have you hired since to, to kind of go in and, and help pets it? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head, but I would say around 15 or 20 is how many I've had. Yeah. And have you had any blunders? Yes, <laughs> of course. There's been a couple, nothing major. We haven't had anything get stolen. We haven't had any pets get hurt, but I've just hired immature people who thought the job was going to be playing with puppies and kittens and, you know, walking around in you know, the sunshiny, beautiful outdoors and no real work. And I actually have a good real-time example. I was home this past weekend um, testing for another black belt and <laughs> I was covering my manager's shifts. She has just been an absolute rock star this year. And that was kind of my Christmas present to her as I surprised her and gave her a couple of days off and just took her schedule. And I wound up working with a new potential contractor. This was her first couple of shifts on the job training. And my manager who, you know, had interviewed her and brought her in said, you know, tell me what you think about her. I'm not positive if she's the right fit. You know, we, I want to make sure it works out. And so we, we do our shift and it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot more intensive than, you know, petting a dog and taking it on a quick walk to the bathroom. A lot of it is all kinds of cleaning. We have to make sure the dog bowls are clean. In this case, the dog had gone to the bathroom on a blanket and we had to throw it in the washing machine. And <laughs> my new contractor was very put off. And I said, well, what's up? She says, we're doing their, their laundry. And I was like, well, there's pee all over this blanket. We should probably... <laughs> not let it sit here for the next week. Like, I'm just going to throw it in the wash and then throw it in the dryer. And she was very put off by that. And then later at another house, we were entering, emptying the leaves out of the pool baskets. And she made the comment that she's lived her whole life with swimming pools and she's never once cleaned out her own pool basket. And just was talking about how much janitorial work it was. And I was cracking up thinking, in, in my mind, you know, I've been doing this forever. I know exactly what goes into it, but it really is still amazing to me that people don't expect there's going to be anything messy that happens with pets and animals. I mean, they're, I love them to death, but they're gross. They make <laughs> all kinds of horrible messes. Yeah. I think about that every time I see like somebody letting their dog lick their face. I'm like, I've seen the things that, you know, dogs lick and it doesn't belong on your face. Yeah, it's, it's true. I don't, I don't care what people say about dogs' tongues being cleaner. I just don't believe it. You know, I haven't done my own studies, but science <laughs> science says somehow, I don't understand it, somehow, theoretically, they're cleaner. Anyway, moving on from that. So you started hiring some contractors and kind of building up Happy Hound to be more than just you. So whenever people call, they're not expecting Catherine. So you kind of, I'm assuming, have to tell that to some of your maybe longer term customers, like, hey, I have other people coming in. It's not just going to be me. I guess 
getting to the point where you can actually leave, like you've come to our summit, like I know you've taken extended road trips. You're not even in Alabama anymore. You're in Chattanooga, um, launching happy hound somewhere else. So I guess walk me through some of the process to actually like take this very physical pet sitting business and operate it remotely. Like what, what were some of the like processes that you had to put in place? Cause I know there's a lot of people who have like physical businesses, and, you know, yours is not just physical, but it's got like, you know, people and stuff, which are, I'm assuming, you know, there's more logistics. So I guess walk me through like what you learned during that process. Yeah, I forget what business author it is, but the concept is you've got to get the right person sitting in the right seat on the bus. And that was a lot of trial and error for me. I started to do this a lot more intentionally as I'd had a couple of hires and got a better handle on what I was doing and what to look for. And that's one of those things you just have to learn from experience to an extent. I, there was a lot of you know, book knowledge. I had gone to conferences, listened to plenty of podcasts and, what, and webinars, but it was different for me to actually have that, act, me doing that process personally. But once I started getting a couple of people, I would try to look for and develop certain character traits that would be good for management and give them a little bit more responsibility. And obviously they had to agree to taking on extra work, but I would, you know, offer that to them and say, Hey, do you want to move up and you know take on this extra responsibility and get this extra pay bump? And my first really big hire that took a lot off my plate was uh, my manager, Lacey. She was the first person I handed over office work to. She was the first one who started taking over actual client communication in place of me. And that was a hard transition because the clients were used to dealing with solely me in the office. I was always the one who answered the phone, emailed them, texted them. And it actually made life a lot easier for me because I was able to set up really very clear boundaries for her. And it's, it's one thing to let a client walk all over me, but it's another thing to let that same client walk all over Lacey when she's doing her job. So we had to set up office hours. We had to set up certain things about, I'm willing to do some extra kind of crazy, weird things on visits, but I don't want the rest of my team to deal with it just because it takes so much time and they're not getting paid any extra for it. So we had to really buckle down and define what it is we do and when we're available to do it. And that wound up being huge for me because suddenly I was free, just my, just thought wise, it was a, a lot taken off my mind. Whereas before I lived, breathed and slept the business 24 seven, I can't tell you how many nightmares I've had about losing someone's dog. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty funny just how intense you, you think about those things. But once I kind of got out from under it, I realized just how much of that I had been internalizing and just thinking about constantly. And it was a transition to explain it to the clients and through trial and error, we've gotten a better format where whenever we are training a new contractor, we let the clients know, we say, hey, we're really excited to let you know our team is growing again. We've got a new pet sitter in training tagging along for us with us today. So your pet's going to get double love at the same cost or at no additional charge. Nice. And just kind of frame it in a fun way where they know, you know, there's someone coming to train today and I don't need to worry about it because we train for almost a month before we let anyone go solo. 
So it is pretty intensive. And if you're one of our regular clients and for almost a month straight, you get text saying that this girl's in training and she's with us. Then by the time she's doing it solo, you're not worried about it so much anymore. Yeah, totally. No, that makes sense. One thing that I've in talking with friends who have like service-based businesses, there's always kind of that line between like, how much do you really need to be making in order to rationalize bringing those people in? And then when you have that person that they're on payroll, it's kind of like you're on the line because, you know, I'm assuming with your manager, she's expecting that income to be coming in every month. So it goes from like, well, it's not a big deal if I don't get paid as much this month. So I guess like, what was your mentality during that process of like, being willing to take on to take less income personally in in order to free up your time like what were you thinking through during this process yeah that's been really interesting for me and i want to preface this with the fact that i've been fairly spoiled i got to live almost 5 years rent free at a missionary's house that i had the deal with them that i would take care of their pets in their home and they were overseas doing their missions work so financially I had a lot more wiggle room than the average person would. But again, if you're living in a RV, you know, typically your expenses are going to be a little bit lower. So you could put it to something similar like that. I just was able to uh, create a budget where my expenses were very minimal. So that made it easy for me to take hits whenever it came to not making as much money. I think that's something that so many people don't like recognize, like there's so many businesses that go out and there's certain points where it's like, you can have that type of runway. It's like most people, I think they want to do their own thing, but they're afraid to live in as frugal way as they possibly can. Like they're not willing to give up certain luxuries. So they have to do things they don't want to do like work a job. They maybe don't like, and I know everyone's situation is different. I'm not trying to put everyone in a box, but it's like, finding that those ways to completely eradicate as many expenses as possible when you're just getting something going to me is like, if you can do that, go do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And another thing for me is whenever I hired someone and they would generally take almost all of my schedule, whenever I hired somebody, that was how I had to scale. I had to hire someone to do my schedule, build up the client list, and then hire someone to take care of that schedule, build it, hire someone to take care of it. So it's kind of a an ongoing process of me being in really good highs financially and really big lows financially as far as that went. So there were plenty of times when I would pick up part-time jobs for a few months at a time and I wasn't doing anything crazy. I was working 20, 20 to 30 hours a week and that was enough for me to cover my bills and not stress. But that is one of those things when people talk about don't quit your day job. I was... I had to go and get a day job in the middle of my business. And it was a, it's a, it was a different transition because my business goes from being all consuming and I'm making great money to I've hired somebody and I'm still making money when I have, when I have a hire, but I have to have two or three people working for me to pull what was then my normal salary. Because by the time I pay for, for them and the insurance and all the extra fees that go into it, it's a big cut for me. It it seems like with your business, like, no matter what, like your employees and your business is going and it's pretty outsourced. Like you still have to manage your manager and make sure everything's running, but it's pretty hands-off just from our interactions and hanging out. So it's like, there might, it sounds like there might be some like slow times where you're not, like you said, making as much, but like people, like everything is still going. There just might not be as much profit for you as the manager of the entire company. Right. Exactly. So 
our client list is always moving and shaking. It's a, it is to an extent a seasonal business where when kids are out of school, whether that be for a holiday or a weekend, we're typically going to be much busier. But the original branch is in Baldwin County, and that's a big retirement community where we have a lot of snowbirds. So we do have people that travel year round that keep us busy and then plenty of business professionals that we take care of their dogs during the middle of the day. So there's never, there's never a day in the year where we're not doing something. We've always got multiple visits going every single day. And it just depends on when you catch us, if it's going to be a little bit slower, say we only have five visits scheduled that day, or if you're going to catch us on a holiday when we've got 30. Yeah. It just depends on what's going on. Totally. No, that makes sense. So transitioning a little bit. Well, before moving on, there is an app out there that I've heard you talk about before. It's called WAG. Mm -hmm. Do you have any experience with this app? Like it's basically like Uber or Lyft, but for pet sitting, like you can roll into a new city and pick up dog walk or like pet sitting gigs. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. So there's WAG, Doggy Vacay and Rover's the biggest one right now that I've had experience with. And they definitely have a time and a place. If I had had access to those apps nine years ago, I think it would have gotten me, it would have helped me jumpstart the business I'm in, but I ultimately would have still wanted my own business. That being said, there's a very, very low, if any, barrier to entry with those apps. And you get a real mixed bag of what the experience is going to be like with you being the pet owner, hiring someone to either come to your house and take care of your pet, or you might be paying to take your dog to their house and let them keep them at their house while you're on vacation or whatever the deal is. It's harder to screen for quality, right? It's really hard to screen for quality. I've heard plenty of horror stories of people that come in and just now, rob them blind. They, the people were going to be out of town for two weeks. They came in one day, took the check, never came back. And they came home to their dogs almost being dead and their house being absolutely torn apart and nasty because the dogs were like at that point eating drywall. And oh, wow. it was a huge mess. And they wound up having to get their whole house rekeyed because the guy had the key and would never give it back. And it was just Dang. a big, a big mess. And that's something that's harder to screen for. There's not as much oversight and managing and making sure that everything's going how it needs to and that you've got the right people working. So that is hard because people can take advantage of that platform. But that being said, if you're you know, a student or you just need some kind of part-time gig and you're going to do a good job, there's no reason why you couldn't get on that platform and make a couple extra bucks. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So moving on a little bit from happy home pet sitting, like I kind of want to dig into a little bit of your RV journey the past couple of years because you wanted to go hit the road. I think you said you followed uh, Kyle and Olivia from Driving and Vibe and y'all are from, you know, similar area. And that's kind of what turned you on to this. And you've kind of had like an interesting little arc. Like you bought the Argosy that you ended up selling. Uh, you were going to renovate it. Then you bought a van and now you're on a boat. So like, I guess walk me through like your journey as you've been working to try to hit the road. Because I think it's, it's a, it's good to talk about because I like, there's a lot of stories of people who've been on the podcast and like, everything's good. They sell everything. They buy an RV, they go travel, see the world. Everything's gravy. But I know like you've had a little bit of a harder time during this process as you've been trying to like, make sure your business is still going and figure out how to transition to life on the road. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I've lived a very charmed life, but this past year, year and a half has really (laughs) put me through the ringer where it's Nothing has turned out the way I thought it was going to. 
this year. But that being said, it was still a good year and I've been, it's, it's stressed me the heck out, but I've come out the other side and I'm, I'm happy with it and I'm happy with where I am and what's going on. But this whole journey started a couple of years ago. I was working one of those part-time jobs at a coffee shop and I was telling my friend, you know, like the cost of living is so expensive here. Like it's just wild to me that even for a young adult like us in our early 20s, we're expected to spend $150,000, $250,000 on a house. And how, how are we supposed to qualify for, you know, these loans and these mortgages? And how are we supposed to, you know, realistically pull this off? I don't want to be locked into this one property for 30 years. And I mean, granted, I know you can obviously sell your house and all that, but it was just something I was having a hard time wrapping my mind around and being someone who needed to you know, have their own house and move out and do this, that, and the other was something that was stressing me out at the time. And I got to thinking, well, I could just get, uh, you know, some kind of old, you know, camper or trailer and I could just buy some land because land's fairly affordable and I could just park it there and, you know, I'd be $50,000 in and that'd be much easier. And she mentioned to me, she's like, oh, well, have you met Kyle and Olivia from Driving and Vibing? We're from the same hometown. She said they just bought their trailer and renovated it last month and they're on the road traveling. And that was just one of those like ridiculous light bulb moments when I realized I could take my house places. <laughs> I don't have to sit in the same place forever. That sounds amazing. And so I started really hardcore stalking Kyle and Olivia and they were one of your first couple podcasts. Yeah. And so through that, I found you and Alyssa and oh, Kim possible. What's the sitch? When your phone goes off all day, every day, you have to have an exciting ringtone that makes you not want to throw it across the room. I feel like I just gave away a whole lot about myself in that moment. It's okay. I mean, it's my ringtone. <laughs> but I knew what it was just from that. Anyway, let's proceed. Um, I just really was so excited about the RV Entrepreneur because it, it just combined perfectly my love for business and my love for travel and opened up all these doors that I had never imagined existed where you could travel and be an entrepreneur. And so that really kind of jump started me wanting to be location independent. And one of the things I was going to need to address is having management in place where I can then go and travel. So started having to look for trailers to live in and I wanted to be cool and Instagram worthy. So I was looking at all the Airstreams and I wound up finding a really cool old Airstream Argosy. And I had um, purchased that with the plan of my grandfather helping me renovate it. He's got a background in construction, but he wound up having a stroke. And because of all his medical issues, it wasn't an option for him to help me out at all. And I definitely had no clue what I was doing. So I took it about as far as I could in the demolition process and was trying to find other local people around town to, you know, help me finish it out. But price wise and with the actual knowledge I had, it just wasn't a good fit. And I finally had to just, you know, acknowledge the writing on the wall that this wasn't the project for me. So I wound up selling it to Kyle and Olivia, which was very serendipitous yeah. and a whole big backstory because they're the ones who... Um, actually met with me and gave me all the information on how to find a good trailer and what to look for and what to avoid. And I had shot for this trailer for the better part of a year before I finally found the one I wanted and purchased it. 
and Kyle and Olivia, after I'd had it for about a year and decided that I needed to sell it, had put up on their social media that they were going to be looking for a new trailer and they were describing what they were looking for. And it cracked me up because they described my trailer. There was not a thing they described that wasn't 100% my trailer. <laughs> so I messaged them. I said, hey, I know this is kind of random, but would you want to buy my trailer? Because they had kind of been keeping up with the renovations I'd done to that point. And they're like, oh my gosh, yes, we were actually thinking <laughs> yours would be perfect, but we never imagined you would sell. We just wanted the exact carbon copy of what you had. <laughs> and so that was a very, very easy yeah, totally. transaction to do. In hindsight, I mean, I've met and come across other people who have done like big overhaul renovations. And like, I think there's a time and a place for that. Right. But I've also met people who are like trying to go through that process and like, don't have any experience. Like, and I'm not savvy either. So it's like, I, we bought our first rig and we like did some very minor stuff in like a week's time frame of like painting and things like that. But like, that's the extent of like me knowing how to make something look good and fix it. Like if there were any actual real issues, I wouldn't be able to take care of it. In hindsight, do you think you would have like you would have rather gotten something that was like maybe a tiny bit more expensive right out of the box, but actually you could take and go. I had been really looking forward to learning the ins and outs of a renovation. And I had the business set up where I had that time on my hands and I wasn't hurting financially. I had enough people working where um, I wasn't stressed as far as income. And I was totally dedicated to the I realized as it went on just how big of a process it was going to be. I definitely went in naively, but I was ready and willing to do the work. But whenever my grandfather wasn't there to help me and teach me, I definitely, I wasn't qualified to do it at that point. I was hundred percent counting on the fact that I was going to have a teacher there with me to help me do it. Cause that's something we've been talking about this whole time. It was going to be a really fun project for the two of us to do together. But when he was unable to do it, there was no way. I didn't have the tools. I did not have any know-how on how to do it by myself. And a lot of these things, you need at least two people. I mean, I had some crazy poses going during the demolition, balancing things on my head, trying to get rivets (laughs) pulled out. It was was pretty risky looking back at it. Yeah, so you ended up selling that to Kyle and Olivia. You bought a van, and now you're on a boat that you bought. So you've kind of went through different phases of kinds of travel that you want. So I guess we're kind of coming to the end of the episode, but just real quick, kind of share like what's next in in your life and what's happening. You're expanding to Chattanooga. You bought a boat. Yeah. So I'm living on my old 1985 Carver motor yacht, which everyone teases me when I say it's a yacht, but it's in the name. It is literally legitimately a yacht, however small it is. It's it's 36 feet, but it's 36 feet of 1980s luxury. Um, And I'm, so I'm in Chattanooga right now. The plan for work is I'm at a crossroads right now trying to decide if I want to try and franchise or if I want to try and have multiple branches around the U S. So this is, more of a thought experiment, really doing a lot of research time for me, trying to understand what is possible. What's, what's the risk involved with franchising? What's the commitment involved with branching out? Because with branching out, it's still the buck stops with me. If if something goes wrong, if a manager quits last minute that I'm expected to go to wherever that branch is and keep it running versus if it's a franchisee, that's their business. And 
they have to close their doors or sell it if they want to get out of it. It's their financial responsibility and not mine. So I'm trying to really look into those options and see what's best. Yeah, no, totally. Well, my last question, as you know, that I ask on the podcast every time is as you're looking and figuring out this next phase of life with travel or living on a boat and and getting your business going uh, in different cities, how do you define success in what you're doing? Success in what I'm doing is it's not really complicated. It's if you can go to sleep at night and feel good about what you've done, whether that be a good day's worth of work where you really took care of your team and your customers or Maybe you got out and did some kind of volunteering and, you know, helped the community. Or sometimes it's just a day where you've gone out and traveled and just really got to experience and live life to the fullest. That's what I try and do. Awesome. Well, where's a good place for people to connect with you, Catherine? I am like a social media pariah. Sometimes I'm on it. Sometimes I'm not. Same. But if they if they wanted to find me, they should check out my website. It's katherinecockroll.com. And they can find all my social media links that I may or may not update. And I may or may not update that blog, but they can see they can see the whole backstory of how in the world I wound up on a boat because that was definitely not plan A, B, C, D, or E. That was plan F. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Catherine. I'll link up to your website in the show notes. Awesome. It was great talking to you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in this episode with Catherine. If you want to grab the show notes, head on over to heathandalyssa.com and click on podcast. We put all the resources that we talk about, links and all that good stuff over there. So if you ever have any questions from something here on an episode and you want to dig into it, learn more, connect with the person who I just interviewed, go to our website, all the links, their social, all that good stuff is there. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll see you all next time on the RB Entrepreneur Podcast. 